Are you are you here? I'm I'm here. I'm what, recording. Uh, oh, you are. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were doing. We knew we, were, we said we were about to start, right? Yeah, but you looked like you were getting things ready. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. And this is Kai. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the new Clint Eastwood drama biopic, uh, Sully, starring Tom Hanks, and then delve into some of our personal favorite Hanks performances. So, just to get things started, Kai, it's been a while since we've had you on. It has, but it hasn't been that long. It's been a few weeks. It's been, but, you know what, what, three that, or four weeks. I think that's pretty good, was, then. was uh, Suicide Squad, I think, last. Oh my god. That was... Yeah, well, we're that on was episode. A month ago. We're episode thirty-two now, so wow. that was like twenty-seven, eight or something. Nine, I don't know, nine something. I don't even know anymore. It was a while back. It was a few episodes ago. Okay. So what have you been up to? Anything to share uh-huh. with the with the group? <laughs> um, nothing too nothing too incredible. Just been occupying myself and um trying to find new new hobbies and and. Uh, have you have you read or watched anything you want to share? This is like sort of a like, just catching up kind of segment oh gosh well i've i've read a lot of books since the last podcast we've had um what about one of your favorites perhaps one of my favorites since, since you're more of the book which is ironic since i'm the writer here when, <laughs> when you're since you're more of the book reading type and i'm usually watching movies and writing about them um well i just finished reading um amy poehler's yes please which is is outdated a little bit now it's not a re- it's not a new release or anything since it came out in 2014 just finished that and that was really cute hearing her story I'm also uh, I've been reading a couple of Mindy Kaling's too, and I I like what she has to say. I sort of like Mindy Kaling a lot now. But you haven't even watched any of her like no, comedy have, or no, his show, her show or anything. Many products on Hulu, and I'm not about to go get a Hulu the, subscription. The one the one the one streaming service of the big three that we don't have a membership to. Exactly. Isn't that ironic? It is ironic, and it's not like I don't really think Mindy Kaling even wants to be on Hulu. I'm sure she would be well, happy. Well, I mean, her show got Fox. canceled on Fox, right? And so yeah. the last, so the last season's on Hulu, and I guess they have air rights to air the old episodes. There actually stuff. was an ad on or Instagram streamer, that she posted where it was advertising one, one to four, seasons one through four on Hulu. So, um, but it's been renewed. It's gonna. It's, Renewed not not five. ongoing. I think it's the last season. As far oh, as see, I know, I don't even know. See, as far as, as far as I know, I don't even watch the show. But um, so I've been reading like I guess comedic books, and I have Amy Schumer's book on hold right now to read that one. I don't even know how this happened. The I'm girl with the lower back tattoo. Yes, which is I'm, a great title. Yeah, I'm not even into autobiographies very much, but I guess. But when they're diff- written by funny women, you like it. Yeah, yeah. But you didn't like Bossy Pants as much as I did. Tina Fey's book. That's no. weird. No, I didn't. I didn't like. I think the way. I think the reason I didn't like it that much is I didn't like the way it was um, segmented. I guess maybe it if. Was, well, I mean, you don't like audiobooks, but part of the reason I liked it so much is that I listened to it on audiobook, and it's Tina Fey reading her own book and interpreting her own words in the way. That's kind of meta, don't you think? No, I mean it's an autobiography, so they usually try and get the authors. I know to it's read just them. funny. It's like I'm going to read my own book. You know, like it's like a bedtime story with their own. Well, book. but I also did Kevin Smith, Jane Lynch, and some other ones. Uh, I think Steve Martin, the one that was on. That Watch Mojo list that we just recently watched, um, Born Standing Up. I think I listened to that one. Yeah, when I when I had a commute to and from before I went full time freelance, that was uh, that was the thing. I had plenty of time to listen to audiobooks, and now it's like, Kai's like, you should listen to the audiobook for Girl on the Train before the movie comes out. I'm like, okay, when? And now <laughs> when we do have, I have a, time to and do we that? have now, like, 
three weeks or something? No, a little less than a month because now it's September eighth. You know what might happen? October seventh. I might just watch the movie and then and then listen to the book because then I'll be like, I want to hear the book now. And you like to do that? That's how I do I don't that. I prefer to do that. I, I do prefer, like, I don't know. I'd rather read the book and then watch the movie and then be like, the movie sucked. Well, but a lot of the a lot of the books that I've read over the years have either been you know I see a movie not all of them I mean granted but a lot of them and when I was a kid a lot of the books I had I probably still have a few of them were novelizations of movies so I'd see the Adams Family and then I'd get the book the Adams the novelization of the Adams Family movie or Batman Returns or The Mask and or like Jurassic well not Jurassic Park because that was based on a book but like some of these other ones from the, the early to mid nineties uh, yeah I, I that was the thing I did a lot. Back I in the think day. that was the thing, definitely. Well, no, they still do novelizations, but it's you know that's just another product tie-in with things. And I've read uh, Star Wars Episode One and Two, and then I still haven't read Episode Three. I've been sitting in my closet. It's like I should probably read this, but then get rid of it because I don't know if I'm going to reread it. But um, but yeah, so oh, that's probably what'll happen. It's Girl in the Train. Unless is there a huge, super crazy twist like Gone Girl in there? No spoilers for Gone Girl, but um, yes, not as good. Not as good, but yes, there's a twist. Well, maybe it'll be interesting to to uh, to experience it in the movies because I didn't have that experience with Gone Girl, and I sort of knew the twist coming, and see if uh, and see if I can sort of predict it halfway through. Maybe like halfway through the movie, I'll lean over and be like, blah 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 blah. Well, and I like, like, damn it. Well, I like the fact that we are talking about books because the the couple books I'm going to mention are going to be turned into stuff. So one book I did read recently uh, was called Big Little Lies, and it's it's this book book's popularity has blown up and the author leanne Mor- morietti she actually just released truly madly guilty as a, a follow-up and every you know it's it's really difficult to get at the library it's still only on um hardcover but a big little lies was is actually going to be turned into a mini series on um on hbo i think um next next year starring uh, nicole kidman and reese witherspoon and nicole kidman's actually um the story is is that she read that book in a day and enjoyed it so much that she bought the rights to to an apt adaptation for for the film. And but, it's going to be David E. Kelly, by the way, creating oh, it. Oh, well, there you go. And so, so she's a producer and one of the stars. And Reese Witherspoon is also involved. And Reese Witherspoon, she's she's another um, actress who likes to adapt uh, oh. books that she reads into movies which is what happened with wild so that's i think that's a really good pairing and alexander skarsgård is going to be in it well and and also because i looked it up on wikipedia it's it's going to be all seven episodes a limited series seven episodes yeah are all from gonna, a film to a miniseries are all going to be directed by jean-marc valley who's the guy that did the dallas buyers club that jake gyllenhaal movie demolition that i actually have sitting by my tv uh, by our tv on netflix uh disc and uh wild with oh, Reese Witherspoon oh. and Laura Dern's also going to be in this too. Right, exactly. So it's and a Shailene, wild reunion. Yeah, and Sha- Shailene Woodley will be in it as well. So it's kind of got an all-star cast and production team. And I I want to check it out, but I well we don't have HBO. We'll have to get another H- one. We don't. We'll have, have to get. Yeah, well, that's not the. Well, I mean, that's HBO specific, but it, that might be. We'll just have to wait till it's over and then get HBO Go for a month and binge it like everybody yeah. does with Game of Thrones. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah, but no, the book that that book was um, pretty amazing, and I'm hoping. Um, it was a comedy, but it was also a drama. There were twists and turns. And... Is it the one you were telling me about? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And um, it will be. Yep. So the Mister. Do you want? Do you want to? Do you want to tell anybody like what it's about? Because we just. That's probably a good idea. At yeah. least like a sentence or two, just like the yeah, um, general well, premise. So it's it's similar to uh, Girl on a Train, where it's told in different um, by different per- perception, different perspectives. 
Um, so it has, you know, um, told this, told in the voice of three women. And they all, this is set in Sydney, Australia. And they, uh, these three women become friends and kind of talks about their, their relationships, their lives. They all have children and it kind of, it's kind of basically the whole, the whole premise is it's the little lies that we tell ourselves and other people that end up becoming, you know, the big lies of -hmm. our lives. And, um, and it's just, yeah, it was kind of. It wasn't really what I expected. It had rave reviews on Goodreads and I from my friends and I decided to check it out. And yeah, I was quite surprised. And now I even have a couple of the author's books on hold at the library to read a little bit more about what what she has to write about. So so Big Little Lies book, check it out. A mini series. If you prefer that, go ahead and watch on HBO while Game of Thrones is on hiatus. And well, maybe I should save the other two books. Uh, for Social our books. podcast. Wait, why? Why they involve they they tie into what we're talking about? Yeah. Oh, really? Perfect. Okay. So, cool. what have you been up to? I've been watching lots of movies. What did I see that I liked recently? I forget now. Oh gosh, you see so many movies. I um, do. I don't have my phone candy. It's like across the room. <laughs> um. Well, I did a, on the last podcast. I talked about. What did I talk about on the last one? What was the last episode about? I forget now. Oh, oh, Don't Breathe. Oh. Don't Breathe. It's so great. Probably one of the best films of the year. So I saw that. And then um, I'm getting ready to watch seasons two of Star Wars Rebels and The Flash. People that listen to the podcast regularly know that I really love The Flash. And uh, I, I'm been, I sort of like slept on it for a while. I sort of slept on it a while and then got involved with season one after season two had just ended. So now I'm just playing catch up for before season three starts in uh, the beginning of October. I think so, yeah. And then Star Wars Rebels comes out in a couple of weeks, but we don't really have cable. So I don't know how I'm going to see Disney XD that I might have to like ask my parents like, hey, can I log into the Disney XD app with your like cable provider info or whatever? Because I tried to do that for Glee back in the day and I don't, I don't know. I had issues with that. I don't know if hmm. it didn't go through or whatever. So, um, so yeah, so I've just been watching movies and, uh, oh, and I read Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which I'll be talking about on the next episode after this, um, next week. So, uh, so you're so, going to talk about a book now. So, no, not now. Next well, week. Well, I mean, next, next, next time you're going to talk about a book? Well, yeah, because I'm going to talk about how it can be adapted and my thoughts on the Harry Potter franchise in general. I'm still planning that episode, so we'll, we'll get there. So, um, you want to just transition right into our review of, uh, Sully? Well, I wanted to um, first introduce it by the other two books that I read. Okay, Kai's taking month. over the show, guys. I don't know what's well, going on. Well, because so the other two books I read recently were Angels and Demons and Inferno, and I know that sounds out of order. Um, for those of you who are not familiar, uh, those are uh, books by Dan Brown, and he had a four book series. Um, first one was Angels and Demons. Second one is Da Vinci Code. With, that also became a movie starring Tom Hanks. And the third one was The Lost Symbol. And the fourth one uh, was released only a couple years ago. That will be turning into a movie coming out this fall with Tom Hanks called Inferno. So I already read Da Vinci Code. And I already had read The Lost Symbol. So I decided to bookend it with Angels of Demons isn't and that the first? Isn't that the first and most recent ones in the, yes, season, exactly. in the series? So that's why you I know. I, it doesn't make any sense, but... No, whatever. I enjoy Angels and Demons a lot. They're very they're very episodic anyway. Yeah, they are. They are. It didn't really matter what order I... I saw the first in. movie, I was bored, so I'm like, eh, I'm good. And then I tried to watch it with 
with uh, Rob and I don't know. I felt I felt bad putting him through that again. I'd seen so, it before. You can watch it on Netflix. I don't know how much I care. I really I, not every not every book I read do I need to see the movie. Right. So nothing it, against Tom Hanks, just not my kind of thing. Yeah. So, or Ron Howard, who both they've done great work separately and together. Uh, I really liked uh, Apollo thirteen, for example. So this, and I think he didn't. Ron Howard direct Splash too. I believe so. I think he did. So I don't know. Yeah. So they've done some great work together. That's it's his just, buddy. That's just not my. Uh, that's just not my thing. Yeah, Ron Howard did Splash too. Huh. It's just that's not my type of thing. I don't like the National Treasure movies either. I guess I don't give a crap about history enough I to watch not. movies about it. I thought it. National Treasure was really fun. Yeah, I was bored. I know. Well, I didn't but you didn't see, see this. Yeah, I was gonna say you didn't see the sequel either. Yeah. So what's up with that? Yeah. So. So anyway, I'm officially done with the Dan Brown series, and we, Rob and I may or may not see Inferno. I don't know. I don't care about it. I don't know. I haven't seen any of those movies, and, oh yeah, Angel and Demons was a movie too. Which, yeah. Okay, I forgot. So Lost so, Symbol will probably come out in a few years after which this. Which is weird, because Inferno was the last I one. I know, I know. They're all over the place. But I liked Inferno's plot. Like, I thought it was really interesting. And that maybe that alone makes me want to kind of see the movie. But yeah, so Tom I Hanks mean, says, I'll see it if you make me. Or if I decide to review it for another site or for the podcast. But other than that, yeah, I don't really need to see that. Yeah. Well, so Tom Hanks is going to have basically two movies. Well, he's also, got the, he's also got the Circle, which was scheduled to be released this year. I don't know if it's still happening. Probably not. But that's based on, I believe, the Dave Eggers book. And um, yeah, so that and that had Emma Watson and a bunch of other people in it, which I'm about to look up. You know, it's interesting. Yeah, Emma Watson, John Boyega, Karen Gillan, Patton Oswalt, Bill Paxton, Glenn Headley. Uh, and that was, yeah, so they, they filmed it already. I don't know when it's set for release. But he has a lot of films kind of in the pipeline. Yeah, which is interesting because I feel like he wasn't really in stuff. Like, but he, he was. was in, he's been he's a lot in of stuff. things, but he's not, like, this is a lot mm-hmm. of movies in one year. I mean, yeah, I guess. It, does, it sounds like The Circle's probably going to get pushed back until next year. But, yeah, so he's he's been busy. He's definitely not... You know, been taking it easy. Yeah, it probably will be pushed back. I mean, it's already September, and there's no... I'm going on IMDb, and there's nothing about when it's coming out. Right, exactly. So, hmm. Anyway, so anyway. That, that'll be... That's the future stuff. So, as far as far as Sully, this we should say, this is the Clint Eastwood-directed film starring Tom Hanks as Captain Chesley Sully Sullenberger. Did you know his first name was Chesley? You barely, they don't even say it in the movie. They just they don't. Something. You only really know it because they put it's on, on the, the name placard thing and yeah. like the hearings and stuff. Um, about the 2009 emergency, I guess the, uh, Wikipedia is wording, emergency water landing of U.S. flights, U.S. Airways flight 1549 in the Hudson River in New York. And the crazy thing is, Kai had not even heard of this story at all I don't until the movie I was. was coming out. She's like, "Never heard of this." I'm I don't like, what the follow hell? the news. Apparently, I don't either. Unless but Facebook I heard about tells this. Yes, Facebook wasn't all about the news, news information in 2009. Well, it depends what pages you like on Facebook and such too. True. So you you were you were totally like, well, I don't know what that is. Yeah, and, and, I didn't know when it happened. I didn't. <laughs> and, and the movie deals with basically it sort of focuses on the aftermath of the incident. And the, the scrutiny that, um, that, that Sully is under by the media and by the uh, National Transportation Safety Board. Thank you. I did not know. I looked it up. I looked it up for my review. You can read my full review, by the way, of Sully on WeGotThisCovered.com. As well as uh, I'll, I'll, po- I'll put a post on CrocodTable.com linking to there. So if you want to 
uh, check that out, and I'll, as well as put it in the show notes of this podcast episode. But it really, the show, the movie just really kind of jumps into the middle of the story. I feel like the traditional way that this story would be, would start, is like, either we start, it, either, well, we'll get into my, my issue with this later. But either, like, we'll start and it's another normal day, and you spend like 20 minutes, like, oh, this is Sully. This is his family. This is his, his friend, his co-pilot. This is his job. And then, pff, disaster strikes, like 20 minutes in or something, right? Then, like, halfway point, the whole issue, blah, 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 the whole incident, and then the second half dealing with the aftermath. But this sort of starts right from the beginning. I guess we should say spoilers for Sully. I don't know if there's such a thing as spoilers for a movie based on a real yeah, incident. Yeah, I know, sort of. But spoilers for Sully. Um, it's not exactly like, you know, Star Wars or Batman v Superman. Know, we the don't, guys we don't on Wikipedia. Know yeah, exactly. You can, this has all been well documented. And he only unless, has Wikipedia because of and the unless, story. Unless you're, unless you're Kai, you know about this event and how it went and who was involved and all this stuff. Um, sorry, Kai. It's all right. She's like, make fun of me. I'm like, it's a little bit. People that know me know I don't, I don't know about news. That's true. So it starts out with a little bit of misdirection that I thought was, was kind of, uh, was kind of was pretty neat and cool the way like the way you see the plane flying and he's trying to struggle to control it and it slams into the building and then you you know it starts out with them on the plane and you think oh this is the incident we're gonna open right with it wow that's cool and then you find out that it's just him having a nightmare of how it could have gone if he had not mm-hmm. made that decision which was very reminiscent of what had happened only years before that well yeah and the movie oh god the movie to remind you of that every fucking two yeah. seconds so so it focuses on his kind of inner turmoil and him feeling conflicted about about what happened. But then he doesn't really... I guess, first of all, general impressions on the movie. For me, I was very mixed to almost negative, but not quite. And we'll get into more of the details there. I gave it a three three out of five on WeGotThisCovered.com. So I was very lukewarm on it. And I'd heard sort of mixed things coming from, uh, you know, early screenings at festivals and such. And I feel like Clint Eastwood's films have really been polarizing lately, where he has a very conservative approach on, this is what a hero is, and this is what makes a man, and all that stuff. It's very, like, sort of restrained, like, uh, tormented machismo type stuff to his movies. You see that in American Sniper, which I did not care for at all. I think I actually also gave that a 3 out of 5, maybe even slightly less. Um, I, and the last movie of his that I saw that I really liked was Mystic River. I was even not even that huge on Million Dollar Baby. I feel like that movie was slightly overhyped. What about Gran Torino? Get oh. off my lawn. Yeah, that's where we all got that from. Thanks for that. And by the way, did you notice in this movie at one point he's like walking in Times Square jogging and there was a Gran Torino poster in the background with oh, no. Clint Eastwood's face oh, and everything? Oh my god, that's so... Was, oh wow. Yeah, that's, so he's... Okay. Well, I mean, it was, set, it was set in 2009 and I think right. that was when Gran Torino came out. So it's like, hey... This was the Clint Eastwood movie then. This is the Clint Eastwood movie now. You're oh my watching. God. So Clint Eastwood, is, Clint Eastwood is sort of up his own ass, I guess, with that. So because obviously, obviously they filmed it long after that movie was out of theaters. So um, they I, that was that must have been green screen probably to be able to get. Oh yeah, probably. The, you know, the Times Square. So he used. Of so they used like they used probably like twenty thousand dollars to do green screen to the not green screen, but to do. Uh, to do like d- digitally composite a Gran Torino poster onto the Times Square or whatever. I guess. Um, so that I, that was my kind of overall feeling on the film. What was? You, did you enjoy it? Did were you? I mean, especially since you didn't really have any knowledge of this event going in, were you? Were you kind of? I mean, you knew how it ended based on the way because the movie's structured. It basically tells you how everything resolved and then goes back and shows you 
how it happened from multiple different perspectives and such. So we're not talking about the bad right now. No, we're talking about generally speaking. Um, I, I mean, I felt engaged watching the film, and and um, I think the other reason for that too is that this this is based on true story, inspired by true story, all that, and it was in, engaging to see, you know, what really did happen and and what it was like for all those people up there on the plane and. You know the hearing um, scene that happened, and okay, we're and, not going over all just right. general feelings. No, just I was, I thought it was engaging, and I gave it a three and a half on my letterbox. This is like the one of the rare cases you like a movie better than me. I think. I think so. I think, yeah, um, I was engaged. Definitely, I was it kind of um, enthralled by what was happening, and um, and I think because it was more real life, um, it it grabbed me because that's. You know, that's terrifying. You know, when you go on a plane, you really hope that nothing bad is going to happen. And we all have that in the back of our mind when we fly. And that's why we tell our loved ones, you know, I'll I'll contact you when I land. Right. Because you could, anything could happen. And that, this movie, this event, it really did happen um, that, you know, they landed in the water. And, but yeah, so spoilers, nobody died. Right. Well, yeah, that's the whole point. That's why we're making a movie about it. And that's why the whole movie is kind of hinges on the question of whether or not this guy's a hero. And it's sort of like, well, those people were on the plane. And the plane went down. They didn't die. So, yeah. Why are we making a movie about this? I guess that's... I guess my issue is we we know how it ended. We know that he saved these people's lives, essentially. What why is the whole movie predicated on the question of whether on the question of whether or not that was the right thing to do you know what i mean i don't i don't feel like the movie ever justifies and we're getting sort of into the bad a little i guess i don't think the movie ever really justifies its existence i agree with that does that make sense yeah i mean i cuz the the justification for why the ntsb is doing an investigation was well, I mean, explained they- in the beginning which makes complete sense, but yeah, that but that's well. And real by life the way, I don't know if you've movie. read any of this, but the NTSB is pissed off because they're 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 finding they've heard they haven't seen the movie because a movie hasn't come out yet. We're told, recording this just before the film is released, so um, you know it's not available. They're not critics; they're not going to see it in advance. But they were totally not involved or consulted with the movie whatsoever. They're they're concerned because they've heard that they're painted very antagonistically in the film, and they are. You know, and it's interesting you mentioned that because when I'm watching the film um, and it's talking about U.S. Airways and it's talking about this entire investigation, I'm even wondering, said, did they get rights? No, it's based to on it's based this? on the book that Sully wrote. Um, oh, on his account, I guess. But I mean, I don't know how much of that antagonistic, like the NTSB, is the quote unquote villains of the movie. I don't know how much of that is in his book or how much of that is just you know dramatic license. Because you have to have conflict, otherwise, what's the point of the movie? Yeah. But I feel like his questioning of, like, he he seems so burdened by what he did, but then at the same point, he also seems super confident in what he did. And I know part of that is him putting up appearances, I guess, and then sort of crumbling within and having all these like conversations with his wife on the phone about like, what if I did the wrong thing and blah blah blah. And I'm like, I don't I don't know. It never convinces me that he was really that conflicted about it for the whole movie to be about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and we'll we'll get, I'll get into more detail later. But the most important thing, since this is a Tom Hanks movie and he's the title character, and Tom Hanks is 
probably one of the most beloved actors in Hollywood, I'd say, from all generations. He's and Jimmy still, Stewart, right? Basically, yeah, yeah. basically. Um, you know, what did you think of his performance here? Well, we'll get into some of our other personal favorite performances later on. But what did you think of his role here? How, you know, did he, is this another classic Tom Hanks performance that we're going to, the Oscar buzz is going to start no. swirling around? No. I I mean, I, he was just very, his character was very non-emotive, which I understand that's the character, but being a non-emotive actor to me does not warrant an Oscar nomination. And I mean, I don't know a lot about this, this Sully man, um, this man this sully man <laughs> this sully this man named sully who wrote this book and uh had these events i don't know anything about him but i mean yeah i guess tom Gaines did his best to play that part but so the question is very not emotive and i liked aaron eckhart i thought aaron eckhart's performance yeah, was a lot you're better actually, you're actually beating me to that um uh the question then is becomes is it tom hanks not doing the best not doing the best he can with the role or is it the material is lacking and it's I mean you know I just feel like so I've read I saw somewhere a headline or somebody tweeted social I don't even remember anymore but saying about how the movie is basically like circling did I I don't know if I wrote this now somebody said something like basically the movie is just kind of like like uh sitting in the gate they were using like a plane metaphor and I use a couple of those in my written review just like kind of like sitting there waiting you know when you go board a plane mm-hmm. and it's like circle it's like uh circling the gate or whatever and it's just kind of like yeah waiting to taxiing or whatever oh uh, yeah I guess it is taxiing that's kind of, that's kind of how the movie feels yeah. because a lot of the movie is Sully just kind of waiting around in hotel rooms and waiting around in meetings and and just being being like, no, oh, I did the right thing. We wouldn't have made it. The engine was out. I could feel it. Oh, my ears and the blah, 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 blah. I was like, okay, I get it. I get it. But then it's like there's nothing else to the movie but that. Yeah. I so, think the pacing was definitely off. Oh, God. We'll get in there. We'll get there. Um, so I felt like Hanks was a really, his performance was, I think I used the phrase in my in my Rotten Tomatoes, you know, uh, summary, beautifully restrained. I felt like it was really, you know, um, he, he, he gave a lot of emotion with the part that he could given the the limitations that this character gave him and he still brings that kind of sense of warmth and uh authority and uh heart to to the character that you know you could have gotten if you would have gotten somebody totally cold to play this it would have really this would have been like a shit movie not even like borderline decent had moments whatever this would have been like not even worth i would be like fuck this this is not worth my time and I and I can't th- I can't I'm trying to think of a good example of someone that's very like cold and like not emotive. What's a, what's the male version of Rosamund Pike? Not because and Rosamund Pike's a great actress, but she is kind of cold and distant, which is why she was so great for Gone Girl. Which is funny because we keep talking about Gone Girl this episode a lot. I think it's, now it's in my head. I'm gonna have to watch it, but I'm scared. But, but I agree with you. I actually was thinking about that while I was watching the movie that the Sully man, he <laughs> Tom Hanks, to portrayed him as somebody that did have. A good heart and that did care deeply about people and was very compassionate right and but yet it was, he still was but he like, didn't do shit that's the problem yeah. in this movie he didn't do anything yeah but i felt like i knew who that man was right see that's that's yeah. and that's so i do agree okay so then you're turning around but he was still not emotive though but he was yeah but you but, but, but i mean you don't have to... restrained is a lot better boarding than non-emotive well you can also you some of the best performances are those non-emotive performances it's easy to be like you know, 
Hoo-wah! That's why a lot of people were like, why did we give the Oscar to Al Pacino for Son of a Woman? Because he's loud in it? You know what I mean? You can be very quiet, and that's actually sometimes the harder acting. That's true. So, you know, I feel like his performance is... Is it Oscar-worthy? I don't know. We'll see who the other contenders are. I... I don't see this taking him to this podium for the third time, though. No, no, not of course even close. not. And, He's no Daniel uh, Day Lewis. <laughs> well, I mean, well, Daniel, or Jack Nicholson. They're, they're different types. It's a different type of actor. It's weird. Daniel Day Lewis is the method more, actor. He's method actor, and he only does a movie like every three years. And when he does, they give him an Oscar nomination because he's different. He does, he doesn't really have that warmth to him very much either. No, but if you know. Um, Tommy Lee Jones, that's right. That's what I was thinking, too. Yeah, that would be somebody if you put him in this This would be role. boring. Yeah. And I might be like, wow. Unless you, use the, unless you use that world weariness that Tommy Lee Jones has yeah. in the right way, like Men in Black does, where they use it dryly for drugs, like, you know, to counterpoint with Will Smith. Or, like, in No Country for Old Men, and Tommy Lee Jones has, like, he's got, like, the, the weight of the world on his face. And you can tell that he's, this guy's been through some shit and seen some shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, I but uh, I agree with... So so it seems like I sort of turned you around on Hanks' performance a little bit. I mean, I wasn't saying like I I think Hanks Tom Hanks did a great job. Um But you don't think the the material warranted having an actor of Tom Hanks's caliber in the film basically. Not really no, but I think I do agree with you that if it wasn't Tom Hanks, then who would they have gotten to get you to know? You needed somebody Sully. Right. You need a, you need an actor who who the audience has sort of bought into already. Like as soon as we sit down, we're like, "There's Tom Hanks. I like this guy." Already, before he even says anything. Like, it starts out with the plane crashing and the nightmare sequence, and he's very upset and worried and, like, sweating and stuff, and you're like, aw, why is Tom Hanks upset? <laughs> you know what I mean? We're already sort of into it. You don't have to... He doesn't have to do a lot to sell us on it. He just has to convince us that he is that guy, and, like, for you, as, as for me, it sounds like he sort of did that. But I do agree with you that Aaron Eckhart in this movie he's the one that might get an oscar nomination because he had a lot of the best moments he held the movie he was essentially the film uh the film's glue in a lot of ways he and i say this again i'm sort of quoting my own review but he he um he's like he's sully's support system he has some of the best lines in the film he has i mean the movie ends on a one-liner that he throws out there that's the strict it 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 almost like in editing the movie eastwood's like fuck I think Aaron Eckhart has a better part than, than Tom Hanks does. And we, we should, like, end it on his character and let him be, like, the final word of the movie and let the audience sort of out on an up note. Um, and he has just some of the... some of the I, I don't know. He had the real charisma in this more more than Hanks did because of the character, because of the characters that they had. And I think it was, it was a smart move to counterpoint Sully with someone that's a little more... Um, a little more outgoing, a little more brash a little you know what i mean yeah mm-hmm. um and aaron, aaron eckhart is such a great actor anybody who's seen the dark knight therefore everybody and uh thank you for smoking and thank you for smoking and, and like thank that, you for smoking he's oh, supposed to be basically playing kind of like a sleazeball but you, but you like, him. But like him he's, yeah yeah oh my god those are those two movies are so great i don't even know if i've ever rated thank you for smoking on letterbox but that's an easy 4.5 if not if not five that's probably one of his best movies definitely jason reitman's best that i've seen um, but uh, yeah, so he was definitely the standout for me. As soon as the movie ended, I was like, "Yeah, Hanks was good, but Jesus Christ, Aaron Eckhart, he needed one of these movies because he's been kind of I Frankenstein and Battle Los Angeles and in these like big budget movies that basically go nowhere and nobody really seems to love very much. Mm. Um, so this this could be a little bit of a career boost for him. 
as opposed to Laura Lenny, who didn't really have much to do here except other just than be like worried. cry on the phone and be like, I don't, I don't know. She she didn't have as much to do in this film, and considering that Laura Lenny has been nominated for Oscars and, and you know is such a celebrated performer, I felt like she was really underused. You could have gotten anybody for that part. Yeah. So that's it was that's a little true. bit of a disappointment to see Laura Lenny in sort of a nothing role. Yeah. Well, it was interesting, Aaron, to see Aaron Eckhart with a mustache. Oh my God! Yeah, like actually, a bushy I actually mustache. had a people saw mustaches like that. Look, like I actually had a note, a, a note here in the random section of my notes to comment on the mustaches, <laughs> like such cool mustache. Like I was just like, okay, I can't decide if that's cool or like sad that that, that Sully and uh, his Aaron Eckhart's character Jeff Skiles, the first officer of the plane. I can't decide if if I if I'm impressed by their mustaches or if they they should they look like they should be in like a 1970s porn or something. No, it was weird. Yeah, I didn't know they had there were mustaches like that in 2009. It it felt like a period piece. It's almost like is this in the 70s? And they that's, look like they're in the 70s. And I hadn't even heard. So when it actually when the movie said January on this event that happened on January 15, 2009, that was in 2009. Right at the end. I mean, I clearly or in the middle of the movie. Um, in the middle of the movie. I mean, oh, okay. I clearly knew it was in the early 2000s because they mentioned um, the economy. 9-11. Yeah. So obviously I knew it was, um, you know, the 2000s. But 2009, I'm like, oh, wow. Their mustaches don't look like they're from no, 2009. No, not at all. Not at all. And I and just real fast to touch on it, as I mentioned earlier, I was a fan of Glee. And I thought it was cool to see both Mike O'Malley and Max Adler in this film. Uh, Max Adler, who played the uh, the bully david karofsky and on that fox show if anybody watched it probably at this point people were like eh, it tuned out like middle season two i'm like yeah I, I i mean i understand uh <laughs> the last half of the series was not that great but it was cool to see the two of them in a such a big movie like this and in pretty kind of sizable parts especially michael malley who if the ntsb is like the the evil empire of this movie he was the palpatine i guess because he was sort of the the head of that board it, it seemed like yeah yeah. Um, so that that was neat. He's a he's a great actor. And it was weird when I was watching the movie. I definitely rec- recognized Max Adler from Glee, but I only for some reason I saw Mike O'Malley from I just saw him as Mike O'Malley from the Mike O'Malley show, completely forgetting he was on Glee. And then when I was thinking about the movie again, you're like, there after, were two people from Glee after, after it was over. Like, I was like, yeah, oh, there were two Glee people. Oh, okay, I just had completely forgotten he had played on Glee. So, so that's kind of funny. You know he was his coolest dad in the world. So I teased to you earlier, we were talking about preparing for this podcast. <clears throat> and I mentioned to you that there was one moment in the movie that was like, oh, so awesome. And that it reminded me of another moment from Tom Hanks' career. Did you have any idea or guesses as to what that was? Or were you totally in the dark? Don't look at my notes. No, I don't know. Okay, well, I'm about. talking about the moment. Well, the film goes, again, spoilers, I guess. The film goes a long way to illustrate how much Sully cares about his passengers and his crew and, you know, how 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 he trusted his instinct to serve him in that role, to act in that moment and decide to go over the Hudson instead of back to one of the airports and, and actually pull off the water landing safely, right? So when that happens, his, his whole point is, right, give me a head count, give me a head count. Like, he's not leaving till he gets that fucking head count. Yep. Right, and yep. they make a huge deal of that, to the point that when someone, when the people come up to him and like Sully, we got a head count, it's 155, and you see that look of like relief and and like sort of wash over Sully's face. That was so. That's a such. That was a powerful moment, and it's things like that 
that really make you think, see, this is why they needed an actor like Tom Hanks. Like, who can you need an actor that can convey that um, that complex emotion in uh, in moments like that without saying anything. And he didn't even say anything. I think he was just like, oh, okay. Like, he was very non-reactive to the guy, as verbally. I mean, you know. But you could see you could see it on his face, and he sold the 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 power of that, and you felt you felt like you could you as a viewer could feel the weight being lifted off of his shoulders with that, and just being like super, I don't know, so, so had that like almost like feeling like a, that euphoric wave of relief kind of rolling over his body, and it reminded me so much of that moment in Forrest Gump that Aww. we both love so much, and we'll talk about some of his other er- earlier work later on in the movie. Or later in the podcast, later in the movie scene, I'm like, oh, now I'm thinking about Forrest Gump. When he, Jenny introduces Forrest to, to her son and says his name is Forrest. And she's like, oh, his name Forrest too? And she's like, I named him after his daddy. He's like, oh, he's got a daddy named Forrest? Oh, no, she's like, you're his daddy, Forrest. And you see that look on his face, realizing that this kid is his and worrying that that kid has the same, you know, limitations that he has. And that feeling, that face, that... that you know, it's a different character, so he reacts differently, but it's a similar emotion that Hanks is sort of echoing in in uh, in Sully, of that just feeling of relief and like, oh my God, thank goodness, and just and and it really, and maybe that's part of the reason it hit me emotionally because we've independently, I mean, we've both seen Forrest Gump a million times before we ever started dating or anything, and we both identified that moment in Forrest Gump as like our favorite moment in the movie because Tom Hanks sells it so so hard, and you. You, you know, you can you can feel what he's feeling. I wonder I, what the scene was that they played at the Oscars that year for him during for Forrest Gump for him to get the. Oscars. I think we looked, and I don't think they. I think they just did like the oh. the little heads in the box. Yeah, because they know? were gonna not head in the box. Like what's in the box? <laughs> not that one, but like the little where they do the split screen to all right. the different nominees and stuff. Um, but that that really that to me was probably the standout moment, like singular moment of Sully. Because it part because it made me think of Forrest Gump and I love Forrest Gump so much, and also partially because Hank sold that moment so hard. And other than that, other than that moment, a lot of it was just we'll get to the things I didn't like in a second, but a lot of it was sort of muddled until you got to the hearing at the end. Those last twenty minutes, I think it's it sort of turns when he makes that phone call to a buddy of his in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, I want to I want to make sure they have the, stim- the simulations or whatever, you know, to basically check in on the simulations that they're going to have and all that stuff. And the CRV, I guess, which is the... And you get the recording... Airplane transcript. Yeah, the, the, from the cockpit. I don't know what it stands for, a cockpit voice recording, maybe, or something like that. Yeah. And who even knew they did that? Oh, I'm sure. They, they I mean, talk everything. about quality insurance on a plane. Yeah, yeah. well, they have... Cow. Isn't that kind of thing like... Isn't that where the, what the black box comes into play? Isn't there usually, you know, the black box you've heard of that if a plane crashes, they go and they recover the black box and it's it's supposed to be impervious to water and damage. And it, I think it has recordings of things like that in there. I think I believe that that would be part of that, you know, kind of, um, I guess, safety, not safety precaution because fucking plane crash, but uh, sort of, you know, to, to at least find out what what happened yeah. well, in, the, which, in the aftermath. Which makes me ask then what was with the ntsb where they didn't go to the the black box first the cvr why was it sully they had to come up with going to the cvr i guess it does what is that is what makes ntsb look like the villains 
because they had some other resources at their disposal and, and, they, and, and they chose not to use. And Well, in the movie, at least. In the Maybe, movie. But probably not the case in, in real life. In real life, it sounds like they, they maintained that they were very fair. Any questions they asked him were just to find out what was going on. It wasn't accusatory or anything like in the movie. It's almost like it feels a little social networky where it's like he's being grilled about. Did you, where did you, did you come up with the idea for Facebook? And then he like, you know, it's like a battle of wits sort of like right. that. And what was the, con- it felt like, they felt in this movie, it did feel like they were sort of attacked, like looking for reasons to blame him right. at certain points. Plus, what were, what were the stakes? What was he going, I mean. His job? They- the millions of dollars that that plane cost, the he insurance really money that they would have had, if if he made the wrong decision in or something. Forty two years of flying. Well, he's retired now, so I wonder how long after that movie he retired. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> he must have just been like, "I'm out." Yeah, but I just because they even mention in there that he's like close to. It's total cliche from movies like Lethal Weapon and like all these cop movies, but like. It sounded in the movie like he was close to retirement, and he's like, "I got, he's got this website set up. We're doing safety consulting and shit." You remember? Yep. Early in the movie, they established that. Um, but I, those last twenty minutes or so in the hearing, when the movie finally like finds its fucking direction, I felt like that's when Sully, Sully has any agency, and he actually moves on something instead of being like, "Yeah." I'm waiting for this next meeting. I'm just chilling by the pool. I'm not I meaning to go to the pool, but I'm just hanging out with my friend, going for a walk, talking about stuff. And that's when he finally finds a purpose and has something to do. Yeah, and it's and just, t- and it is just real crazy that this this event happened in January. It's, I mean, it's not like New York's not cold <laughs> well, already, but that's oh the, my god, I really that, felt and that's for why, those people. That's why that last line of the film yeah. is so great. Yeah, but I gosh, I mean, I really felt for those people and that man that's in the water and. Like you know, he could have died of hypothermia and right. Well, that was uh, and that way. And the movie does the movie does a good job, I guess, of sort of illustrating how New York came together in you know in this in this moment. And you had the rescue teams there, and the cops were all there, and everybody sort of descended on. It makes and you a, love. It makes you love the New York government people, doesn't it? Moments like this, yeah, yeah. Officers like, wow, they actually do something. When these things but happen, they come together is, like that. Where were all the life jackets? Only certain people got life jackets. It's only so many. I mean, the plane got submerged in water really fast. I know, but didn't isn't there life? Aren't there life jackets with every, For every seat? seat? You would think so. Yeah, but what about the? Aren't the seats now used as flotation devices? No, they tell you that. Yeah, in the... I don't know. I'm not. I'm not the production designer on the film. I can't tell. But you I that. guess they're like, oh no. I mean, I don't. I don't know. And people have these life vests on. But no one, but most of the people weren't even going in the water, except for a couple people, and one of which was a man who didn't even get a life jacket. If, I say if those other people weren't going to go in the water, they should have shared. They should have given him a life jacket if he was really going to be advised by the flight attendants to jump in the water. That well, part into the didn't life into lifeboat. No, wasn't then they jump in the lifeboat? Then not that man. Oh. They advised a man that didn't have a life jacket to to jump out of the plane to. Um, well, jump from the plane. Well, the plane, plane sounds yeah. like it's skydiving, but jump from the plane That's a different into movie. the water. And he had no life vest. And I'm like, why can't he hang out in the wing or in the lifeboat? Like, why are you making this flight attendant? Why are you making this particular man go in the water? That part, I don't know. Maybe they didn't that like him. Me. Maybe there's a deleted scene that like, we hate that guy. You can jump in the water. Fuck off. Yeah, I don't know. But I'm cursing was... a lot in this one more than I do by yeah. myself. That was just weird to me. You bring out the F-bomb in me. I guess so. Wow. So so the hearing part was really great and illustrated how New York came together and Sully's had some great speeches and, and dialogue in that scene. And uh, it was interesting that we find you like you don't see the full crash sequence until the end of the movie, basically. Right. Yeah. You see like bits and pieces. You see like um, the control tower guy, like, you know, talking with Sully. You'd be like, oh, there's a runway here and blah, blah, blah. Remember? Yep. 
you see uh, like before, after, and all that, but you don't see the actual plane plummet into the river until that point. And I thought that was sort of a uh, an interesting way of doing it. And that and that last act is really compelling. And and I made the the joke to the lady afterwards, giving feedback. Um, that the movie really did kind of stick to landing, or stick the landing. I always get that phrase wrong. It really did kind of stick the landing at the end. You know, it was all over the place. It was a rocky. You know, if you're if you're going to compare the movie to a, a flight, it took off okay. It was rocky here and there. There were moments where everything was cool, but you know, turbulence every now and again. But then when you got to the end, you're like, oh, okay, well, at least it ended strongly. Um, and that was really my. So you, I still came out of it with overall quasi positive feelings. But now let's get into the negative stuff. There was so much on-the-nose dialogue in this thing that just seemed like it was trying... It was like... I, I mean, I say in my review, it, I'm half surprised there's not a for-your-consideration thing fucking... See, there's the F-bomb again. Flashing on the screen. Because, you know, some of the, the dialogue was so... So, like, you're a hero, man. You Oh, you saved those people out there. He's like, and then he's like, "Well, you know, it's great because I've worked for forty years in the sky." He's like, "I'm going to be judged on 108 seconds." I'm like, "208 seconds." Okay, 200, whatever, fucking thing, whatever. There was just like, "Look at my acting! Look at how hard I'm acting!" See this scene? This is an this is an Oscar club scene. I'm like, I get it, but they just really hammer home the the you know how um, unmistakably heroic. What Sully did was, but at the same time, the whole movie's questioning was it heroic. So, if the movie's telling you it is heroic, but then trying to convince you to call that into question, why am I watching a movie about it? You know what I mean? Right. And I mean, well, was there, was, he was... there was no nuance to the storytelling whatsoever. The thing is, though, the the people that were kind of making it out to be that it was not heroic were the NTSB, but then everybody else, like you know, the the people. On the plane that survived, they thought he was a hero. Well, yeah. Just like his wife said, she said, "You th- you know, turn on the television and you'll see that what everybody thinks." And but it's also you know, it was showing that Sully um, was conflicted. You know, that's what they had with the Katie Couric dream sequence is that he felt. Oh yeah, God, I forgot about that. That. Katie, that he felt conflicted inside, like he, you know, I think as a pilot and doing something like that for f- over forty years, you sometimes become so um it becomes so um second nature second nature that when something like that happened in his career you know he's so conflicted that he's and also it's a very traumatic event that he well yeah yeah of course you know that he does think oh my gosh am i am i a fraud i mean But, but the movie paints the movie paints things in such black and white terms this was good. This was bad. These people are bad for asking so many questions. He's good for saving lives. And I'm like, you know, it, it paints it on such simple terms, but then purports itself to be way more complex than it really is. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, if you want to see something like, and that's why I told you as soon as we came out of there, I'm like, yeah, it was fine, whatever. But I need to show you Flight because Flight took a lot. This Robert Zemeckis movie with Denzel Washington, I'm saying that for their benefit. And that's not his yours. other boy. Yeah, that's oh, Tom Hanks' other major director yeah. that he works with. Well, uh, other than Ron Howard. He never worked with Clint Eastwood before this. Yeah, I guess that's true. Well, it's Ron Howard, uh, Steven Spielberg, and Robert Zemeckis. And it's three big ones. But in that movie, you really are questioning because that character is way more complicated and way less of a hero. I mean, He was an alcoholic, right? You have to watch the movie. You have to watch the movie. He's way more complex of a character and way more compelling because of that. 
like you there's certain points where you're you're not sure if you're on his side or if like if you should be rooting for well, him. That's always fun. Or if he, if he did do the right thing and under what circumstances he may or may not have done. I'm did trying to be Did he get nominated for that? Yes, he did and he deserved that Oscar nomination. Cuz Denzel, everything Denzel does, everything Tom Hanks does too is more or less, but Denzel is has a better I think think Denzel has a better track record. Tom Hanks hasn't been nominated since Well, he was nominated for Captain Phillips, wasn't he? But other than Captain Phillips, he wasn't nominated since Castaway, I think. Yeah. Or was he not even nominated for Captain... Oh, I don't think he was nominated for that either. He hasn't been nominated since Castaway, I think, which is like 2000. So it's... Denzel, I feel like, is nominated for Oscars way more frequently than Tom Hanks is. And Denzel has more of a power on screen, you know what I mean? Tom Hanks has has maybe more of a sort of built-in appeal, just because he is so affable in his nature. But Denzel has that presence that he just jumped see i was right okay yeah castaway was just like, right yeah, yeah i was doing it before it's fine um so so yeah flight is a i felt like this is like a kind of a he did a, get a golden globe for, nom- captain phillips. for captain phillips yeah the uh barcode obdi the other disappointing actor got an right. for the oscar yeah. for that yeah they really liked the oscars the academy really liked tom hanks in the 90s well, he did a lot more. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he. I could see that. He's been a little more hit and miss the, this deck, this last fifteen years, I guess, since sixteen years since Castaway. Um, but I mean, he still had some really good performances, and we'll get into some of that. But yeah, I feel like Sully is sort of like the poor man's flight in a way. It's like if you take flight and you take out all of the complexity and you just keep the basic story. You get kind of like a blander version of it that is actually sort of sully. I see that. And I feel like all the... But Flight wasn't a true story, was it? No, no. It, but it came out after this movie, so I feel like that was like sort of the fictionalized, better version of the story, in a way. Cause, and you'll see. We'll, we'll watch. I gotta put that... Make the, I'll put that on a list of movies we need to watch together, uh, because I do have that on Blu-ray. But... Um, and in that, there was more story to delve into. There was more, because the character, more main character was more complicated, there was more that you had to dig through in order to get, in order to get to, uh, to the climax of this film. They kept stuffing it with so much. Filler. So much. Oh my God. So much. I've seen some people say that like, yeah, there's like 30 minutes of story in here in the 90 minute movie. I mean, it's 90, 95, 96 minutes or something. And it feels like it's longer than that just because it just goes on for so long yeah and those conversations with his wife they kind of all they're the same conversation they were like the same he has like three scenes over the phone with laura linney who must have just recorded all her like shot all her stuff in like a couple days in like a house by herself basically because they don't actually have any scenes like physically together no they're all over the phone and then you get flashback sequences of him like as a young man learning to fly yeah, that wasn't, I don't, and no like in the military like uh, doing a cool maneuver and I'm like I, what a what a bearing does that have on anything I know if the movie's gonna like if the movie's gonna be about this incident don't show me that shit and if you want to build up to this and if you want to like if you want to delve deep into this man's life story and what led him to this moment then tell that story but you're not telling that story. You're telling the story of this incident and over the movie takes place over two or three days and they mix it up narratively where, like I said, where you see bits and pieces of the crash before it happened, after it happened in sort of a non-linear uh, format because if they actually showed it linear, you'd be fucking bored to tears. There's not much that goes on. It's like they focus on the incident, but then they're trying, they're adding in all these other scenes 
we've had like two or three nightmare sequences from him. We have two or three flashback sequences from him. We have two or three scenes with him talking to his wife, which are like, as you pointed out, all super repetitive. Just like, ah, oh, what if I did the wrong thing? But you did. You're wonderful. You're blah, blah, blah. You're a sully. Yeah. And we know it's the name of the movie. You know what I mean? It's just, there. what else could we put in here to like expand it out a little bit? No, yeah, the pacing was... And it's only 90 minutes. How did they do... How did this happen? Did nobody think... How long is a book, anyway, I wonder? uh, I mean, who knows? Was there not enough juice to... Did there nothing else they could have put in this movie that was more relevant? Or expand the scope? Apparently not. Well, let me ask you this. Well, the whole incident took place... Like, I didn't know about it at the time... Because it, it, as soon as you hear about it, it's over. Because in the movie, he takes off. Oh, our engines are jacked up. All right, let's go land. And that's it. It takes, but they are only in the air for like 30 seconds. Which is. How do you stretch that out to 90 minutes? Yeah, and it was not you don't, I guess, is the question. Kind of since I didn't know this story. <laughs> um, but it threw me off because it had the sign um, at the airport that it was they were, they were going to Charlotte. And then they kept, and, you know, kept talking about LaGuardia. And I'm like, I don't understand. They're going to Charlotte. Then why is it, why are they why could they have landed LaGuardia? And obviously, oh, because you didn't know that because you didn't know movie. that the plane, yeah, I didn't know didn't, it didn't only, go like, anywhere. Basically. Yeah, basically, yeah. And then I'm like, oh wow, no wonder. It sort of feels to me like people that are, um, people that had issues with the walk are going to have issues with this movie because that took a very, you know, kind of a brief blip of American history and expanded it out to like, and this is how he met his girlfriend. And this is how he put his little team together. And this is him as a young man, like doing doing tricks in the in the square. I like that movie. I did like that movie, but that movie decided we're gonna tell the story of this guy, and how he got to this point. And they don't jump. They don't start with him on the walking between the, the World Trade Center and then go back and forth. They tell you he's narrating, and, and plus they have the whole device where he's narrating his own life story, which I thought was really clever. And and I judge Joseph Gordon Levitt. Joseph Gordon Levitt. Despite his sort of weird French accent that I like to like mess that I like to make fun of or like uh, imitate, um, with him walking on the wire, um, they decide that they're going to tell a biopic that leads up to that moment, and they executed it pretty well. Do you think then that what Clint Eastwood's focus was was to to kind of twist and turns and to not know what for the um, the audience what to expect, even though it's a st- an historical event. I think you know? I think the the editing was designed to not help to help, was I think the editing was designed to prevent you from realizing that the story you're watching has really not very much substance to it at all. I think that's why the editing was like let's jump here and then let's jump here and let's watch the control guy sit in the room and be like I lost them I lost all these people and then let's go back to the control guy again to the you you see that guy two or three times I know I know uh, why is he a character wall. why is he like a part of the why is he a main like central part of the movie for several scenes uh, do you see what I'm saying it's just they're like um oh oh here you go the other thing that pissed me off well why don't we show like show some of the passengers and like oh we almost missed this flight. Oh, we got on the plane, and then, oh, it goes down, and then they're, oh, I lost my people. Oh, my God, you're okay. I don't care. Do you really, does the movie really feel like, does the movie really, no, I didn't give a shit. Are you telling me that that scene with the two sons and the father, and I thought, I really thought that dude was dead. Didn't care. I knew he he wasn't dead because they established earlier in the movie that that everybody was saved. But they didn't do the count yet. I, well, no, didn't you didn't see the, you didn't see the moment of the count, but you knew that everybody was fine because you saw news clips and him like, and you know Katie Couric interviewing him like 155 people. You're a hero, blah blah blah. I guess so. You knew that. There's no suspense in that. 
But he, and then he looked back at the plane. Don't care. And he got back on the. Did not care about any of that. That to me said, okay, we we need we want viewers to care about the people on this plane. Well, so I we need to. I come cared up, about those three people. But I the, guess. But the mother and the, her daughter, I didn't care about them. I didn't understand. And the dude is the like next to that. The, yeah. Well, the purpose of it is that the movie thinks that in order for audiences to care about 155 people in a plane and understand the gravity of what Sully did, we have to understand that they almost missed that flight and they're just like traveling and we love each other, we're family and stuff. And I'm like, I don't, you don't need like stilted drama between characters we don't know about, don't care about, don't meet, except for like two scenes in the movie in order to be like, we get it, you saved these people's lives. You don't need that to contextualize it. We understand what he did and that it's heroic. Stop fucking beating us over the head with it, Eastwood. Well, you know, what would actually have been more interesting than that was if they maybe talked more about the flight attendants or something like that. Something. And their, and their actions, because a lot of flight attendants, you know, they fly and they know there's a risk, but who's to you know who's to say how often that even happens to them? Or just focus on the man that the movie's named after. If you're gonna make the movie about him, why are we hanging out with random people, making sure that they get their get to their gate on um, time? Filler. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That, and, and, here. and the reason I mentioned the walk is that I feel like this would have been a movie that I almost I would rather see a documentary of. If they're gonna, if this is raced on a real event, I'd rather see footage of that actually happening. Interviews with all the people involved. That would be more interesting to me than this movie was. Instead of Lolo, let's put it inside his head, and he's like, "Oh, he's not sure. Am I a hero? Am I not a hero?" But yes, you are. We just saw it. Move on. It could be a, this would be a short film, maybe, or something. It, you don't need or like a vignette in a like America's Heroes, directed by Clint Eastwood, like a segment in that or something. There's no reason this needed to be a full-length movie. Except for, you know, money and, I guess, awards or whatever. But I don't honestly don't see this getting very many Oscar. No, no. I think it's also too early even, in the season. Even the crash sequence in the movie. I heard like, oh, the crash sequence. It's crazy. Don't watch this and then go on a plane. I didn't think any of that was particularly groundbreaking. In the water? Though? No, the, 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 them flying and the plane, the engines going out and like them trying to land it. And I did feel sorry for those birds, though. Well, I know. Poor birds. And I didn't really feel like the crash sequence was particularly innovative or interesting. And they shot this in IMAX. I don't know why. Not even just IMAX. Wasn't it like new IMAX? Or whatever. Yeah, I guess. 70 millimeter or whatever it was. I don't I don't know. Um, there was nothing visually that was really this, this movie did for me. I, they've seen Flight had a better airplane sequence. Castaway had a better crash sequence. This, I mean, this is not... So, I don't know. Uh, I, so I guess I'm ready to, like, sort of summer. I'm tired of talking about this. <laughs> so, in short, Sully was decent. Maybe check it out in Redbox. I even say in my review. I even say in my review. You gotta read it. Um, that it's like, if this is on TV, like, Sunday afternoon, eh, put it on while you're, like, doing laundry or something. That, then it's a good movie for that. Like, oh, I haven't seen this Tom Hanks movie. Oh, that's pretty decent. But to go spend money to go see it in theaters and make an evening of it, $10 a ticket plus popcorn and all this shit. That also depends not, on where you live. Not, yeah, well, it, yeah, well, $10 a ticket if you're lucky. Um, it's probably, what, 12 13 15 now, depending on, like, major markets. Yeah. Um, well, in New York, where this movie was set, it's probably more than, for, like, 15 Yeah, not worth the money. You could buy, wait, wait, save your money and... Rent, get it on Redbox or rent it from iTunes or something. Not worth seeing in theaters. Not one of Tom Hanks's best in recent years. Not one of Clint Eastwood's best in recent years. Not one of the best biopics or plane crash movies. <laughs> nothing. There's nothing in this movie that's exceptional. The only thing that I would say is the highlight is Tom Hanks' performance is, re- is really solid. Again, not one of his best, but, you know, and Aaron Eckhart. 
doing something interesting on screen for the first time in a long time. That's pretty much all I got. So, so yeah. Again, I said, like I said, I gave the movie a three out of five. You can read my full review at wegotthiscovered.com. Like I said, I'll link to that in the show notes for this episode. And uh, you know, crookedtable.com. You can you can find uh, links back to that review that way. You know, a lot of, a lot of places to find uh, to find my thoughts on this film, obviously. But if you're probably if you listen to this, you probably heard enough of me dropping f bomb. Be like this fucking movie. Yeah. So, any closing thoughts, Kai? No, I agree. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I I did like it a little bit more than you, but only by half a point. This <laughs> is not by that much. Yet. So, anyway, there's over the last what. 30 how many how many years has he been in movies 80s early 80s early uh, 30s late 80s 30 years roughly movies yeah but then early, i said early. 30s like i was talking that i mean like 30 something years 30 it's not like 30 years, he hasn't yeah. been in movies since the 30s <laughs> that'd be crazy he looks good for his age um yeah like early 80s maybe mid 80s when he really broke through with with splash he was on and Bosom like buddies that. right yeah in the early 80s that was his thing and bachelor party things like that yeah so anyway over the years throughout our lifetimes since since we've been alive He's been, he's been in movies. He's been a thing, Tom Hanks. Yeah, he's and he, there's he's been our Jimmy Stewart. there's been so he really is. There's been so many unforgettable, like really memorable Tom Hanks performances. Sully being only the latest one, but you know, let's um, let's talk about six. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about flicks and me. Let's talk about what the good films and the bad films are to me. Let's talk about six. Let's talk about six. All right, so let's talk about six with Tom Hanks. So basically for this segment, instead of ranking a top six like I did with the stop motion animated episode, talking about Kubo and the Two Strings a couple episodes ago, this one we're going to split between the two of us, and we're each going to just highlight three of our favorite Tom Hanks performances. Uh, And they don't necessarily have to be like the best they don't necessarily have to be Oscar winning or even nominated. Um, just the ones that sort of hit us personally and the ones that we think of more when it comes to Tom Hanks and some of his best work. Um, I should say that we're not going to count. Uh, we're only we're only going to do live action. So we're not counting animated because otherwise all three of mine would be the Toy Story trilogy. Or, you know, uh, well, I mean, I wouldn't I don't know if I'd put Polar Express in there. But um, Toy Story movies would definitely be in contention if we were if we were considering that. But just so it's more apples to apples, I feel like doing all live action performances is, is sort of a good uh, upfront rule. We did, in in the interest of uh, you know disclosure, Kai did tell me her choices upfront so that I because I wanted to make sure we all had separate choices so there wouldn't was no overlap. I knew both of us were going to think of a certain movie that will probably be the first one you'll mention. Um, so, uh, you know, so that's, so there's no interest, no issues with that. We also haven't, there's a few movies of the big highlights of his career that neither one of us have seen. I still haven't seen Captain Phillips, even though I meant to when it was Oscar season then. I don't think I wasn't, I wasn't as closely devoted to catching up with all those movies as I have been the last few years. And that was 2013. So I'm more on board. Like last year I saw 
all the Best Picture nominees well before they, the Oscars happened. I even, you know, you go to the Crooked Table YouTube page, you can see my reviews of all those Oscar nominees. You ranking even had them. a video, too. That's that's what I mean. You can oh, see my oh, reviews. Oh, see. You can see videos. I mean, you can see with your eyes, like, where you read it. No, no. See, like, you can see what I'm, me talking about Spotlight and... Brooklyn and Bridge of Spies, speaking of Tom Hanks. But didn't you still write reviews for some of those movies, too? Some of them I did, but some of them, yeah, but some of them were just the So videos. then my point still stands. I guess, I guess so. So we haven't seen Captain Phillips. We haven't seen Philadelphia, which, you know, we were 10 at the time of that movie's release. So yeah, that wasn't something that interested me at that point. And in the years since, it just, it seems so bleak and depressing that I, I, I haven't been able to bring myself to actually watch it. Uh, I think that's sort of the same thing with you, right? Yeah, I agree with that. It's, it's, but we won't get to them, especially now. Doing this, doing this episode makes me. I'm sort of shaming myself into watching some of his other ones that I haven't seen. Well, he has. I just checked. He has 79 films. Well, 79 credits. 79 acting credits. Yeah, that also includes like cameos and uh, TV and things like things right, like that. But right. Yeah. But yeah, 79 acting. I mean, credits. they they have his cameo from the Simpsons movie in there yes. as, as credit, but but yes. Yeah, so um, it's hard to see 79 um, acting credits. I've seen probably I've seen probably most of his movies, I'd say. Yeah, I would say you've done better than me. Less, less in the last few years because I haven't, you know, his movies like uh, Larry Crown that I didn't see and like Small, oh, but that's Holog- Hologram movie, for the so. King that just came out on uh, Blu-ray and DVD recently. And um, oh, I, I should really say, do we want to maybe get out of the way some of our honorable mentions? That we didn't go into, or do we want to save those for after? We'll save those for after. Okay, we'll save those for after. So, we're going to do three of our favorites. Did you want to get things started with the most obvious one? I'll get it started. Um, so, one of our favorites is Forrest Gump. Um, obviously, we'd have to mention that one. And it was a movie that happened right after Philadelphia and gave earned Tom Hanks his second Oscar in a row. and um, But he really... He really deserved an Oscar for that movie. I still love that movie to this day. Um, we actually watched it recently. And he just... I mean, some of that stuff is... It's definitely a fantasy film. And the things that happen are very, like, far-fetched. I don't know if it's a fantasy film. Well, it's just... Everything no, in his like, life kind of shit. worked. Yeah, to, I mean, it's it's sort of... Um, it's not even magical realism. It's more... It's It does have, like... Um, it works as sort of a, a fable of the American dream and the American story right, right. and that kind of that. Yeah, the whole point is, it's it's American history lesson through the eyes of the most unlikely person, basically. Right. It's, it's kind of what it's going for. Exactly, and it's just you know it, it's that scene that Rob was talking about with, um, you know, close to the end. Yeah, of I sort the film. of sort of stole your thunder. No, with no, that, no, it's I? fine. And it just it just tugs at your heart. And I mean, it just it's strange because now twenty two years later, I actually feel like Forrest Gump is a very divisive 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 film. well that's mostly because people love pulp fiction and shawshank as much as if not I more than shawshank they did then yeah, but I, no, also, I like all three of those but a lot. also that's not the only reason people also look at forrest gump like the, that they can't stand it they think it's overly really, sentimental and yes. it was it was also overexposed when it came out where everybody's like life is like a box of chocolates well, we're still like quoting it to this day well, yeah you know um people are still saying run forrest run well, now, now I'm saying run, Barry, run right. because of Flash. Right, exactly. So, <laughs> um, so that's kind of happened in in recent years, which that, is unfortunate because that's a fucking that's a great movie, and that's de- that's both. I don't know if I'm not I'm not going to go out on a limb and say it's better than Pulp Fiction or Shawshank, but it might be my, very different films. It might be my 
personal favorite. It's the one of those three that I've rewatched the most. It's the one of those three that I hold closest to my heart. And is it sentimental? Yeah, but what's wrong with that? Sometimes, you know, it, you know, it's not it's not Full House sentimental where it's like the music cues up and it's like what what what. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the yeah, and the performances in that film by everybody just are just I'm still really pissed. I'm still pissed Gary Sinise didn't didn't win that or at least, you know, Samuel L. Jackson for Pulp Fiction win that because it went to uh, Martin Landau for Ed Wood and I don't that just seems to me like to be like talk about Oscar so white. We complain about that now. Back then you had Gary Sinise as Lieutenant Dan nominated. You had Samuel L. Jackson for Pulp Fiction with his most iconic performance still. Morgan Freeman, and, right? Um, he was nominated for lead. Uh, oh, we lead. talked about this. I keep forgetting that yeah. because there technically were two leads. In Shawshank? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think Tim Robbins was nominated. I think Morgan Freeman oh, got well, that instead. Bunch of shit. Sorry. And uh, and they gave it so over Gary Sinise and Samuel L. Jackson. They gave it to Martin Landau, like the oldest white guy they could find, basically. <laughs> so that's that pisses me off because those uh, uh, Gary Sinise is great in that. Yeah, and he he has scenes too that like tug at your heart and. Like that scene where they're on the boat and he jumps off and, and Forrest says, I guess he made his peace with God or whatever. And yeah. I'm like, it's just, damn. It's, it's a very, it's a very, it's a, it's, uh, is it, is it overly kind of overly emotional, heartfelt? Yeah. But that's what it's going for. I mean, um, it, it does it effectively. And the story it tells is both, you know, has drama, has romance, has comedy, has, Pretty much all those elements that you want in a movie. And it's a family film. It's like family and, friendly. And it's family friendly. Yeah, it's a movie that we're going to introduce to our kids one we day. We saw it in movie theaters. I don't know if I saw it in theaters, actually. I might have missed it in theaters. Yeah. But we were 11 years I don't old. Remember. And we saw this movie as kids, so clearly. I might have. That, I like, might family. have seen it in theater. It was huge, and it was a summer movie that had the momentum to carry all the way through till Oscar time in like March at that point. Now they moved it up till February, uh, to February lately, but. Um, but yeah, so good point. Good, good, good pick. And obviously. You know, I, I told you up front to, you can have Forrest Gump because I've seen more of his movies because otherwise I would have talked about that. So let's transition out of that because I feel like otherwise we're just going to talk about Forrest Gump for another <laughs> 20 minutes. So I'm going to start with, um, are we, are you going in any specific kind of order or are you just random? I'm random. Okay. I'm just going random too then. I'm just going to go with. So it's bullet points for this instead of numbers. Basically. Okay. Yeah. 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 And I said, I said up front, we're not ranking them. We're not doing number six like I did last time. Um. I'm just going to start. In 1998, uh, Tom Hanks gave a really powerful performance in a Steven Spielberg movie called Saving Private Ryan. Oh, I've heard of that movie. <laughs> yeah, you might have. Another sort of, another another film that's sort of involved in a, a bit of Oscar controversy, not because it won, but because it lost to Shakespeare in Love. But because because I am who I am, I did not pick Saving Private Ryan for this list. Oh, you, I picked, you did a twist on I me. I did. I picked another 1998 Tom Hanks performance. I picked You've Got Mail. Oh. Because I really like that movie, and I don't care what you think. <laughs> Saving Private Ryan is obviously the more dramatic, the more powerful, the more memorable film. But for me, You've Got Mail is Tom Hanks at his most charming, his most witty, his most... Um, his most likable, and it, and it sort of hits, you know, he's kind of snobby in it a little bit, but he's like, it's almost not not to the extent of Aaron Eckhart and Thank You for Smoking, but it sort of leans and that takes a step in that direction, where he's not the most not the most likable guy up like up front, 
but when when you know when you see him behind the scenes and him interacting with his dog and him like I, I don't know I really love his performance in that movie and his interplay with Meg Ryan in that film is really strong I feel like even though everybody thinks of the Tom Hanks Meg Ryan couplings and they think of Sleepless in Seattle I feel like you got mail is a far superior film. They actually interact in that movie until the like before the end of the film. Shocking! Um, it, it's actually a remake of a 1940s I think film called The Shop Around the Corner, which starred guess who? Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart. Oh. oh. So it basically a hundred percent legitimized those comparisons be- between him and Jimmy Stewart. By essentially putting him as the modern Jimmy Stewart in an updated version of a Jimmy Stewart movie. Who was the lead actress in that movie? Uh, Margaret Sullivan. Never heard of her. Yeah, 1940. But man, he, he needs to be another movie with Meg Ryan to help bring her career back. Because... Yeah, I don't know what happened to her. But that film, it's one of those movies that, it's one of those movies that you would say, oh, Mo, that's a movie my mom would love. Because my mom does love it. And maybe that's part of the reason I love it so much. I've seen it so many times, you know, with her putting it on in and around the house or whatever. But the two of the, those two stars are just so great in it, and they bring out the best in each other. And that film uh, is sort of dated now because of the "You've Got Mail" and the AOL construct of it. Nobody even people don't even use email really anymore, like in that way. I feel like now it would be like Snapchat or something well, if like they did a new version. Have, to have movies like that though that are just very of the time modern, like Friends with Benefits. Yeah, but very no, no, but film. it's not that. It's not not modern. That it's modern for that moment. It's not. Right, if that's you what watch I mean. It, like, isn't there a word for that? Like, a, a movie being so like part of its like in a time capsule, basically. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because Friends with Benefits like that too. Like you, you know, it's still a it little still bit. fits, but a little come bit. another ten years, it's, it's like the be... difference between Friends and How I Met Your Mother. Like you watch Friends and you're like, wow, look at the phones they have, or look at the way they're dressed, or look at their hair, and then you look at How I Met Your Mother and you're like, oh look, they're making references to texting and and uh, social media and like you know Uber and shit like that. You know what I mean? They talked about Uber. I don't know if they did. They probably did at some point. I don't know if Uber was even a thing when that show was on. I don't on. think so. Uber's only well, they were in New York. They had cabs and stuff. Right. But um, but yeah, you've got male super charming Nora Ephron, R.I.P. Rest in peace, Nora Ephron. Um, that was probably uh, one of her better directorial efforts. I feel like you know some of her best work was writing with screenplays, when Harry Met Sally, for example. Um, but yeah, you've got male. It's it's not not necessarily the most not necessarily the most popular choice for Tom Hanks part, but uh, you know. He brings so much to that, so much um, likability and emotion and uh, vulnerability to that character, to a character that could easily be like, easily could be like a sleazebag, and make you really kind of root for him and understand where he's coming from and want them to, to end up together by the end. Which spoilers they do, not real spoilers, because if you know anything about romantic comedies, you know, well, I know how this is gonna end, and it does have that predictability to it. But for me, it really works, and it has a lot of replay, replay value. And I and I really enjoy his performance in that. It doesn't it feels sort of different from a lot of his his performances, uh, you know, in the '90s? Because he was start he was veering more towards dramatic work as the decade went on, mm-hmm. with Philadelphia, with Forrest Gump, with Apollo 13, you know, with Saving Private Ryan. When was Apollo 13? '95. Oh, okay. And that was sort of a hey, I could still do this kind of thing and be you know, verbally, verbally spar with Meg Ryan like I used to back in the day and, and uh, you know, sort of a, a throwback to his 
um, early 80s days of basically doing comedy work. So that's my first pick. I know I went on for a while that, but... And then you, but you, you love I, this movie. I, it's a great movie. It's a cute movie. I like it a lot. You threw me for a loop there. I know. I like Saving Private Ryan, but I haven't rewatched that a bunch just because it is heavy. But yeah, You've Got Mail is a, is a personal pick of mine. So, Kai, moving on to your second one. So my next one is Big. Um, I saw this movie a lot when I was a kid. And I just think that um, Tom Hanks played the role just really, just really sweet and playful. And he really um, encapsulated that childlike quality, you know, um, that we all still, I think, want to have as adults. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really, I would say that's the movie that put Tom Hanks on the map to having a, a like a strong film career. Oh, totally. Because he was in Splash and and some other things prior to that, but it was it was big that he it just catapulted him, catapulted him he, to he became big. He yes, exactly. And I just think it's just which a, is which is ironic because in that movie the little kid is like I want to be big, and then Tom Hanks is probably like telling his agent like I want to be big. Yeah. And then he's like here is this, that's I wrote. It's funny that you say that. <laughs> I have the script. Yeah. But I just think it's just a Depending really heartwarming story, and um. And you know, of course, you you, the piano scene, F.E.O. Schwartz is is classic, and um, I need to get that on Blu-ray. Why don't I, I do, have I that yet? I keep asking. I'm like, do you have Big? You're like, no. I keep forgetting you don't have Big. Yeah, I know. I'm gonna get it on Blu-ray. Yeah. I've seen it's on my Amazon wish list. It's just one of those movies. So, um, <clears throat> and once again, you know, Tom Hanks, he just is able to deliver the that that sweetness and that vulnerability that he. That he does which so makes, well. Which makes him the perfect actor to play a child's kind of stuck in a man's body. Yeah. I mean, some of it's kind of, when you think about it, outside the film, it's a little weird, you know. That, that he has sex? Yeah. But... Spoilers, I guess. For a movie that's like 20, 30 years old almost. <laughs> sort of. But so, so, um, so big for me. You it's, know? it's a little, I think it's a little bit of a wish fulfillment thing for all 12 year old boys that they're like, oh Yeah. I got a penis that's bigger, and I get to do stuff with it. And it's, um, I think it's cute in the movie where um, the female lead. Elizabeth Perkins. Elizabeth Perkins, who, yeah, what happened to her? Yeah, she's another um, one of those. She she was telling the John Hurd character, he's like, what is it about him? And she's like, he's a grown-up. Oh, yeah, it's ironic. You remember that line? That that line does stick out. Yeah, because he's not, but he... um, the character that Tom Hanks plays, I don't remember the kid's name of the character's name, but he just, you know, has, he's childlike and, and Josh, I think, Josh, Josh Baskin, Josh Baskin. Right. And I think it just reminds us to, to stop taking life so seriously and to bring out that child. I don't, quality t- I don't take life serious. Life, luckily that, that must've worked. Baskin, that must've worked on me because and, uh, I, I saw that movie a lot as a kid actually. Yeah, and then that, uh, the, what was the thing? What was the t- the um, machine called? Oh, geez. Zordon? No, no, that's... Zordon? That's, that's fighting for power. Rangers. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> uh, Zoltar. Zoltar, right. The Zoltar, they even have that at some of those Oh, my God. Um, it's so cool, when, it's so cool when you see it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because of... Oh, I mean, I guess it is because of Big. I don't... I think that was pretty much I think created so. for the Probably, movie. Probably, yeah. I think so. So, um, and of course, there's Mercedes Rule in that movie, and she had a very small part, but I liked her a lot in Lost in Yonkers. Oh, it was the mom. Random note, yeah. Yeah, Mercedes Rule played this, his mom. And that was actually his first Oscar nomination. Yes. Was for Big, okay, by the I way. I think so, yeah. So that was when people were like, fuck, that funny guy from Bachelor Party is like a real actor now. Yeah. So it was sort of, it was sort of a, uh, 
coming out sort party, not in like coming out like hey, like sorry, that sounded that was that sounded offensive. Uh-huh. Not coming out like you know being gay, but coming out like oh my god, this guy's a star, and mm-hmm. why why didn't we realize yeah. that before? And this movie was so well um, oh, received that they then became like, thirteen, lauded, going, like came crazy, out with yeah. 13, 13 going on thirty for the female take, which yeah, but which I still was, think that Big is a lot yeah, more heartwarming. Big is better film, but but thirteen go. I mean, you know, yeah, you get the lady version of it. And, and it's told in its own unique way. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, so. it, well, well, I think what it is is that big, big centers on the the uh, young boy experience and looking at a young boy wanting to be uh, an adult and why he would want to do that and his motivation. And then thirteen going thirty, like you said, speaks to the female version of that. Well, why would she want to be grown up? Why would she want to be that? Because she's like, I can't wait till I'm grown up and I get to wear cool clothes and I get to like have an apartment and brush boobs. Yeah, all that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. And boys will pay attention to me and blah blah blah. So it's it's yeah the, they they do sort of feel like um, related in that way. But good, yeah, total totally good pick. Um, yeah, you do you, you feel like you took all the high profile ones, and I'm like, well, this one's good too. Oh, I could I, was... I could have picked Saving Private Ryan, but I just chose not to because I like to be uh, outrageous. You, I was gonna use that word. You got me all with <clears throat> Greg Pepper, though. Wasn't that like a number one movie? Yeah, but if you're if you're, you know if people are talking about all time great Tom Hanks performances, they're not gonna bring up they're not gonna bring up You've Got Mail. That's like them be like, you know what I really like the Money Pit. Which I almost which I considered because Money Pit's a great movie. I haven't seen that one as nearly as much oh, as Big. Oh god, because it upsets me. Why? It's so great. Especially now as an adult, the fact they own a house. Oh, you need to see that because we need to watch that together. That's, because it's not a segue into your topic, your next one. Is it? <clears throat> no, it's not. No, okay. it's not. And the Money Pit is my second choice. No, it's not. Um, because that's Tom Hanks at his purest, at his at his like purest comic. Like he was purely a, com- a comedic actor back in the day. That was like him, like purely hamming it up for laughs. And he probably, who's to even say, more and so. it's funny because he probably didn't even want to start that way. He probably just wanted to be taken as a, uh, taken for a serious actor, well, or but you, he did so you, good. You go where the work takes you. Plus, yeah, he did so well in those roles. So it's like, let's keep giving Coming off of Bosom Buddies, that's a sitcom, so yeah. that's probably all he got up front. I'm, I'm, sure, happy days. I'm sure he always wanted to do a blend of everything. Doesn't everybody want to do everything? Yeah, but you also, yeah, but he also didn't want to be typecast. And that's a lot of times what happens to people is that they get either typecast as well, I think it's easier to be typecast as a comedic actor oh, than a yeah, dramatic absolutely. actor. Absolutely. Because drama, of course, is very hard. I tried to do drama when I was in acting school, so I can... I mean, he's I even directed He's even directed stuff. He did think That Thing You Do, and oh, yeah. uh, Larry Crown, he directed that. I didn't actually forget, and wrote it, so now we really need to watch that. I guess so. So, so my second pick uh, is actually, it's funny, I was saying, you got all the big ones, and I got nothing. Big, no, no pun intended with big. <laughs> Um, because I, another, I'm actually the first time picking one that he got an Oscar nomination for, and that would be Castaway. This movie, the starts out, you know, and he's, he works for a FedEx, I believe, I think it is FedEx. I don't remember if it is FedEx, I haven't seen it in a while. I think it is FedEx, and he's like all about keeping to a timetable and, and effectiveness and, and, uh, you know, taking a plane back home and it crashes, and then the rest of the movie pretty much the, almost the entire runtime of the movie minus like well I won't spoil what happens towards the end of the movie for people that haven't seen it like me like you haven't seen Castaway no we haven't oh, talked man. about this I forgot about that jeez we're gonna have to end this podcast and don't have a Tom Hanks marathon I think and flight we gotta show you flight um he's it's basically a one man show right yeah. it's him on the island learning to start fire 
um, trying to fix his, his tooth that's aching him, um, making a little friend for himself out of a freaking volleyball. Uh, yes, Wilson. Wilson! I'm sorry! Oh, and that's, and you know, people like to make fun of the whole Wilson thing, but that's a really powerful scene in the context of the film. Mm-hmm. And not to mention the, I mean, I didn't see this film, but I, I know this, that the, the what he had to do to his body. Well, what they did, yeah, I was going to get there. What they did was they shot the, they shot the, the first part of the movie, like the first half or whatever, where he's, you know, still relatively new to the island that he crash landed on. And then he went on, like, they stopped filming for several months. He lost all this weight, and then they came back. Because in the movie, there's a time jump at a certain point. And he's, like, all, like, you know, has this crazy blonde beard. And remember, I think he even grew the beard, like, for real. It wasn't, so. it wasn't, it wasn't you know, fake or anything. Um, and, and the way he carries the movie and makes it, makes something compelling out of that. Creates a, a story about survival through this one man's perspective and, and there's a lot of scenes in the movie where there's no dialogue. It's just him doing stuff. And it, it really makes you think, well, how would I how would I deal with that situation if I were in this man's shoes? And if you're gonna put if you're gonna cast an everyman in a movie, you can't do much better like you can't do much better than Tom Hanks to be an audience surrogate because we're already on like I said with Sully, we're already on his side from from the word go. The, the you know, fade in and we're like, Okay, Tom Hanks, take me where you're gonna go. Because he's earned that over all the over the decades of making such great films, and I feel like Castaway, you know, we accompany him on this journey, and not only is it a phys- physical one that he's you know isolated from society, it's a it really delves into the emotional side of what he's going, what's going on with him psychologically, and where that takes him, and what he has to do in order to keep himself alive, and and it has moments of lightness to it, it has moments of like cringeworthy moments and there's there's a lot there's a lot going on in that film and like we said you know you we mentioned earlier about Robert Zemeckis who did Forrest Gump with him he did this one with him he he Tom Hanks basically he knows which directors use him the best which directors put him in the best uh in the best roles and you know and the fact that that he has these regular collaborators really has you know, born some amazing fruit as far as cinematically. And, and uh, Zemeckis, I mean, they did Polar Express together, which is entertaining, but not as, not as sharp as the other ones. It's more technological. The that movie scares there. me. I know, I know. Eyes, They're a little zombie-ish. Uh... But Castaway was, was proof positive that Zemeckis and Hanks, when they get together, it usually, if not, even if it's not something amazing, like as Polar Express um, proved, depending on who you ask, some people love that film. Um, you know, it's definitely worth something worth checking out and something different. And Castaway proves that. So that's Castaway is my second choice. There you go. I think that. So we've covered all the movies he was Oscar, he was nominated for Academy Awards, right? Because he was only uh, nominated well, I four times. Saving Private Ryan, and um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, maybe it's big. We mentioned them all at least. Saving Private Ryan, Philadelphia, Horse Gump, Castaway, and Castaway. Yeah. So then I guess five five nominations. Yeah. That's believe so bad. and he's one too that's, that's great pretty odds. pretty good odds yeah seriously so what is your last one my last one is a league of their own i clearly need to get out of the 80s and 90s but it's like well that's why I, I haven't I, seen a lot of Tom that's why i also purposefully stayed in like the ni- late 90s 2000s yeah 
Um, but a league of their own. Um, I saw this movie when I was nine years old in the movie theater. And actually, I did not want to see it at all. Like, I wanted to see Honey, I Blew Up the Kit. <laughs> but... Um, That's a, not a very good movie. No. And I'm so glad that my and, mom... And you saw it since. Yes. I'm really, I own it now. Honey, I Blew Up the Kit. Oh, I mean. no. <laughs> Honey, Wait, or did you go see that? I think I saw it later on okay, but, in my but life. When you, but not in that instance, you were like, I want to see Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Your mom's like, screw that. No, she's like, other. no. She's like, we're going to see I League, League of Their Own. We don't want to see Honey, I Blew Up the Kid because I had also an older sister that had feelings too. and uh, That doesn't matter. You should get your way. <laughs> and I'm, But I'm so glad that despite my tantrum, um, I did see League of Their Own because I really did enjoy it. And I mentioned League of Their Own because, one, this is a historical event that happened in the lives of these these women that played baseball, not softball, while while their men were at war. But it's also just like, it's just out of character for Tom Hanks. Um, he played, he was so like sleazy and gross. And he just played it so in well. A dip, in a different way than in You've Got Mail, I would say. Right. He's more slick, like slimy in You've Got Mail. Not, not like he is. Not that he is slimy in that movie, but he has more, if he's going to fit a stereotype, it's more like slimy businessman type. Right. And that, this is just like, oh, spitting tobacco. Right. I don't, that's not what tobacco spit sounds like, obviously. I just went blue raspberry, but like spitting tobacco and, and uh, yeah, dirty and like alcoholic. Yeah. And he was just, and clearly didn't respect women. And, you know, this is also the 40s, so they probably you know, a lot of men didn't anyway, but, but he also has an arc in that film too, where he really comes around and is like, yeah, these are, these women, you know, they really are great ball players. It's a very, femini- of, it's a very feminist movie it is, too. And that's, maybe that's the other reason I love it. And of course, the most famous line that people still quote to this day is, there's no crying in baseball, you know? So it's just... I, I just I love A League of Their Own, and he did have like a smallish part. I mean, really, that movie was owned by Gina Davis. It's a supporting role. Yeah, yeah it was sure. a supporting role, but you know, he, um, he really took it and delivered, and and just had a lot of fun with it, and you know, and ended up st- even though he was a little sleazy and gross, he he um, was still charming in his own way, you know. So basically, so basically, you really like Penny Marshall movies. I guess I do. Because Big and League of Their Own were both Penny Marshall. Did you even know that? No, I didn't. She's, oh, no. She's she's not. Is she still alive? Penny Marshall's still alive. Gary Marshall's the one that recently... Yes, okay. His, her brother right. is the one that passed right. away recently. I like his films okay, too. Not yeah. the ones from recent years. Oh, but, Mother's Day and things yeah. like that. Valentine's Day and Terrible Day. Right. And that's what they should call them. But, yeah, um, so but yes, so those are my three. Very good. Good choices. And, yeah, you took some... Well, I would have taken Forrest Gump. I probably would have taken Big, too, honestly. So you're lucky I gave you first tips because then you would have been like, um, uh, <laughs> that thing you do, which is uh, not, not that that's a bad role, but that's not like the best. And I saw that once in the movie theater. Wow. I, let's, I so a third choice, I'm going to go with my last and final, well, my last choice, final is that's repetitive. Um, I, I was really kind of torn for a bunch of stuff and we'll get into honorable mentions in a second, but I'm going to go with saving Mr. Banks. I thought about that one too. Because... That performance was really underrated, and that was a year where he was getting sort of Oscar buzz for Captain Phillips and Saving Mr. Banks. And in this film, he plays somebody you may have heard of, Walt Disney. Oh, that's Which it's crazy. It's crazy that they don't even look alike, but man, he feels like Walt Disney when he's on screen and he's doing the... He's doing the black and white, like, intro stuff that Walt Disney used to do for the wonderful world of Disney, you know, airings of films. Um... 
he really carries that the the presence and the I mean like we said a couple times the warmth and authority that Tom Hanks has is such a perfect fit for Walt Disney and that movie about is about the making of one of my other one of my favorite musicals Mary Poppins and and has such that's see that's a movie that 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 movie understands that yes it's about the making of Mary Poppins but it's about the making of Mary Poppins through the eyes of the author who wrote Mary Poppins played by Emma Thompson which whose name is I'm blanking on now. Do you can you oh recall her God. name? Oh uh, She took her. It was wasn't her beginning name like initials, and then she took her dad's first name. And of course, I can't find the, the freaking thing here. Um, brain fart, everybody. P.L. Travers. Ah, that's it. Where Emma Thompson plays P.L. Travers in uh, Saving Mr. Banks, and um, yeah, that movie blends the personal story of P.L. Travers. With the making of Mary Poppins and connects it in a way that makes sense. I mean, we were at Target tonight and I saw it on DVD on sale and I was tempted to buy it, but I want to get it on Blu-ray because I really I like that movie a lot and I and I think that is the rare case where a biopic is able to balance multiple different um, timelines and kind of jump back not timelines but it jumps back and forth between her past and the present making of the film and how the story of Mary Poppins connects to her on a personal level. And Walt Disney is key to that. I mean, obviously, it's this is a Disney movie about the making of a Disney movie. So this is fictionalized up the ass, I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of this is made up. But, you know, when you're judging a film based on real events or inspired by real events, you have to judge the film based on the film's merits. You can't be like, well, this wasn't true the way it happened, so I can't like this movie. I'm like, well... You watch made up movies all the time. You think fucking Harry Potter is real? I mean, you don't say like mm, magic's not real. I can't buy into this. You know what I mean? Right. I mean that's a totally. I mean you can have issues with it, but you shouldn't judge the movie based on that. You know, be pissed off with the way that the movie was handled, maybe behind the scenes, but the movie should still work as a movie Plus, for you. You know, with things like that, with any type of biopic, um, or autobiography, it's there's always two sides, three sides to every story. So even right. if there was, um, so even if um, it's showing it more from the the perspective of Walt Disney and how and still how great he is and stuff, and it's there's still there's still the true story that no one would really know right. because the, they the weren't balances, there. The balances the the right. other accounts. Yeah, but no, for sure. I mean, I'm sure Walt Disney was a great man. But he still in his had, way. In his I mean, way. But I mean, we definitely we we've heard that he's anti-Semitic. That he was anti-Semitic. But then again, it was also that was in the in that era. A lot of people were anti-Semitic. I don't know if why we're we're taking something that was a norm in a dip in a past time. Not to not that I'm excusing it, but we're taking something that was a like more more socially accepted in that time, and we're bringing it into today's like uh, social environment. You right. I mean? And even Walt Disney that's pictures. Not, that's not a hundred percent fair. Cause that's like saying, Oh, you know, maybe Jimmy Stewart didn't like black people. I'm like, well, back in that time, that wasn't unprecedented. I mean, it was clearly it was morally wrong, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't something that was as frowned upon. People didn't, not to say that people didn't know any better is, a, is an excuse because it's not. But it, 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 I don't know. It, it just doesn't. It doesn't feel fair to judge this icon based on that, based on the fact that he had beliefs which were commonplace at the time. Right, and plus Walt Disney Productions, you know, they've looked back on some of those things that 
have been shown oh, well, in movies and tried to pull them, you know. Well, Song of the South, good luck finding that yeah. anywhere. Dumbo, or like a lot of those. Dumbo oh, and, the crows. Yeah. They, so that one you could sort of, they, they let it slide because that's a classic. People love that movie. Yeah, but they know. Well, there's a they lot tried of. tried to take ownership Warner Brothers, too. Warner Brothers had a lot of Bugs Bunny cartoons that were really racist. And they're, you're never going to see them because they're they're hidden away in a vault. They don't need the, the drama from that. But it's like taking ownership for being like, yeah, we right. accept the fact. Well, it's like, taking, we well, it's like right. taking ownership by not taking ownership, by, by locking it away. I guess so. Um, yeah. But Tom Hanks was so great in this film. And I feel like a lot of people still haven't seen it. It's from John Lee Hancock, who's the guy that did The Blind Side. And, I, and uh, he's, he kind of specializes in doing these biopics. And, and making and fictionalizing them, but making them compelling and, and getting a lot of uh, critical uh, attention for them. He did The Blind Side. He did Save Mr. Banks, obviously. And he did this upcoming movie, The Founder, with Michael Keaton oh. playing Ray, Ray Kroc, oh. which that I'm really looking forward to because I love Michael Keaton. And I loved Saving Mr. Banks, so I'm really excited to see what John Lee Hancock can do next. So Saving Mr. Banks, great performance by Emily Thompson. Great performance by Tom Hanks as Walt Disney. Just a really and and it's a, again like you were saying with Forrest Gump, it's it has enough. Uh, it's dramatic, but it's not like heavy. You know what I mean? It's dramatic, but it's also uplifting in a way. And it's a movie you can totally watch with kids because it it doesn't lean too heavily on um, I don't know the darker parts of of the story. It sort of alludes to it and lets you know what's going on without really showing you anything graphic or anything like that. It is a movie, Disney movie, bearing the Disney name. It's not Disney, like, you know, through one of the subsidiaries. And it's rated PG-13. But honestly, I thought it was rated PG until a second ago when I checked it. I because love that it, poster, though. Oh, my God. It's so great. I want it for my wall. Um, it, it easily could have been a PG film. And it's it's one of those movies that that when people say, oh, biopics can never be done right. I, this, I would point them to Saving Mr. Banks as an example of, well, really? Because... This one pulled it off perfectly, and another movie that has nothing to do with Tom Hanks, but Love and Mercy, which I should talk about in another point, with John Cusack and Paul Baldano playing Brian Wilson. That's an amazing movie that I really liked a lot. Um, so so those are my three choices. To recap, Saving Mr. Banks, you've got Mail, and Cast... I did them out of order. Saving Mr. Banks, Cast, uh, cast Away, and you've got Mail. And my choices were uh, Forrest Gump, Big and A League of Their Own. So those are our six picks for our kind of our some of our personal favorite Tom Hanks performances. Um, you know, but we're interested to hear what you guys think. Did you what did you think of Sully? Did you see it? Did you love it? Are you mad at me for cursing about it so much in this episode? Did what's your favorite Tom Hanks performance? Send us uh, an email, Robert at crookedtable.com or reach out to me on Twitter at Crooked Table. And you can reach out to me at the Vault Key LLC, and you can also find me on Letterboxd. Yes, Letterboxd. Yeah, I'm on Letterboxd too. If people, I don't really know if that's a thing that most like, casual people use. Well, I feel like it's mostly keep mentioning critic. it, more people that's will true. go on there. That's true. I like, I like their service. It's basically Goodreads. It's Goodreads for movies. We talk about it so much that there, people are going to think we have stock in Letterboxd. We don't. We don't. We just like it. It's fun. Kai's obsessed with rating everything she sees. So yeah, I like to rate. I like to know everything I read. You're like I like to track I write, stuff. What other? I walk. Yeah, it's good. You're silly. Um, so you can also find uh, more podcasts, videos, reviews, and other movie-related goodies on CrookedTable.com, Facebook, Snapchat. I have an, I'm having an account with Snapchat that I'm sort of half-heartedly started. Let me know. Tweet to me if you think I should be on Snapchat. I'm not sure if it's even worth my time. But um, next week, as you I mentioned. Tumblr. 
Oh, Tumblr. Yeah, I'm all over the place. I'm everywhere. Find a social find a social media platform. Type in Crooked Table or Robert Yanis Jr. And you'll yeah, I'm there somewhere. Um, next week, as I mentioned, I'm going to be talking about Harry Potter and the Cursed Child and give my general feedback on that book. Or it's not even a book. That's the funny thing. I think people were. I feel like there's going to be people who buy it and they're like, "What the hell is this? It's like a play. No shit, really." I feel like some people think it was a novelization of the book because that's what I thought it was initially until, you know, its release got closer and then I, I realized, oh, oh, it's a script book for the the, <laughs> the play. Um, so I'll be sharing my thoughts on that. Possibly doing a Let's Talk About Six about Harry Potter or, you know, maybe just, maybe I'll see something, some other movie in the meantime that I really want to talk about and I'll just let that overtake. But Harry Potter and the Cursed Child will happen. So that'll be next week on Crooked Table Podcast. I'm Rob. And I'm Kai. And that'll be it this episode. We'll catch you guys next time. Roll credits. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. C-R-O-O-K-E-D. <laughs> <laughs>